Welcome to Humanly, the podcast searching for the truth about health and wellness. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Humanly podcast. My name is Daniel Reuters, and today I'm joined by Dr. Bear Lando. Dr. Lando, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Daniel, um, yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Honored to be here. And uh, thanks for your perseverance. Our, our last try, we had a storm here and my technology failed. And uh, so it looks like we're going to be successful today. And it's really good to be here with you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it's finally eventuated. So uh, all good things come to those who wait, I, I guess, as the old saying goes. I have been watching your or listening to and watching your Alpha Vedic podcast. And we were just talking about that before we came on air today. And you were saying you've got 250 episodes now. That's something you do with Mike Winner. What got you into wanting to do a podcast? Uh, not of my own volition, I can say that. I, um, you know, before all that, well, before we get started, uh, what am I allowed to say or not say? I don't want to be responsible for getting you booted off platforms or anything. Hey, look, it's um, freedom of speech here on this uh, podcast. You can say whatever you'd like to. Okay. Okay. I just don't want to sabotage you in any way. You know, we still have a little bit of a YouTube audience, so uh, we play the game a little bit over there. So uh, what happened is before all the COVID stuff, um, you know, I had a career in bioterrain medicine, and um, which would be the antithesis of, uh, you know, what they're trying to sell us with all the COVID stuff. And uh, we put out a couple of podcasts just talking about the history of germ theory, the fallacies, and and then my experience as far as how, how I came about my belief system, you know, in 40 years of practice, which doesn't coincide with what I learned in medical school at all. Uh, fortunately, you know, I did get taken under the arm of a lot of icons, you know, back in the day of they were from the old Europeans uh, school about terrain medicine and so forth. So uh, what happened is some folks uh, that are very prominent out there, uh, you know, uh, wonderful voices like Andrew Kaufman, uh, they watched our podcast and it really uh, intrigued him. He started doing his own investigation and said, my God, there might be something to this. And, you know, he's, he's a brilliant man and, and very open-minded. So um, he started investigating and then the whole COVID thing happened. And I saw through it right away, you know, based on my experience in clinical medicine and also uh, understanding that I've seen the same thing before, you know, with AIDS and the alleged uh, viral contagion, HIV and things that I proved in my own clinical practice had that thing to do with the symptoms we associate with AIDS, the symptoms we associate with uh, liver uh, issues like um you know, hep C and, and all these things that are attributed to viruses. And then also I did my own uh, type of in-house uh, um, investigation, including labs and things that really painted a whole different picture. But now all of a sudden it's the, it's the hot discussion. And then uh, Andrew again, got out big time with his uh, brilliant research mind and started really finding, you know, the flaws in the whole narrative out there. And he did a movie and uh, invited me to be part of it. I was honored to be in it. And also, um, we started doing podcasts together. 
And even though Mike and I started, uh, my partner, Mike Winter, and, you know, we're a family affair. We have uh, a mom and pop business and farm. And uh, Mike is uh, one of my surrogate children. <laughs> you know, he's an adopted uh, child because he was a good uh, friend of my, uh, one of my kids, you know, when they were going through college. So we're, we're like old family now. But, um, you know, he has more of the tech savvy. So he, you know, created the platform and, and said, hey, you know, let's let's get out there and tell the world what we're doing, which is basically about uh, permaculture farming and, you know, growing our crops and making things out of it and creating a whole model that we believe will be uh, a good prototype for decentralization or decentralization of, um, you know, the world's economy and, and all the essentials that, you know, we all need. Uh, so, so that's what we're about here. And we've been podcasting ever since. Yeah, it's amazing. You were saying you've got 250 episodes and you've done that in, what, two and a half years. And I think I've been going close yeah, to so, maybe two years and I've only yeah. done about 70 episodes. So you guys have been doing some serious work there. Well, you know, we're not um, podcasters per se. Uh, we do one a week. And uh, every so often we'll do an in-house, you know, where uh, Mike and I just chat, you know, about the things that we're involved with. Uh, but nine out of 10 episodes, we have other people on, you know, notable folks and in, in different endeavors and, and different levels of expertise and, you know, influence out in the world there. So, um, you know, we just kind of play host to them. It's kind of fun. You know, I've, uh, got dragged into a kind of kicking and screaming. I said, no way. I was the most uncomfortable person in front of a mic. I spent my whole life trying to be anonymous and, uh, which is why I like farming these days full time. You know, I'm just out there with my own thoughts and, and so forth, but, uh, but it's been fun. We've met a wonderful, a lot of wonderful people like yourself and connecting all over the world. And, you know, it's really showed me that it really is time not for people to retreat into their own little space, but to interconnect and share ideas, share resources, and uh, most important, uh, let each other know that we're not in this alone. How does, because you're, you're a classically trained or you went through the orthodox school of medicine. So how does mm -hmm. a, a classically trained medical doctor end up wanting or getting involved in something like bioterrain medicine and having a, a, having their mindset shift completely away from everything they were taught. How do you get to that point? What happened in your life to, to get you down that path? Yeah, it was a simple progression. Uh, you know, when I just look back with a little bit of hindsight, uh, first off, I, you know, I did my pre-med. Uh, I had a double major as pre-med, pre-law. I was almost toying with going to law school, but, you know, medicine won out. Uh, I was on a football scholarship, so I was a jock. Basically, that's what got me in college. And it's also what got me interested in the body because I did a high level of training, played at a high level. And uh, I almost uh, over the years started enjoying the training and learning about physiology more than actually playing the sport. So, um, you know, rather than continue on professionally, what I ended up doing was continuing on with school. And after my pre-med, um, there was a, a program that was offered by Stanford Medical School. And what it was is they're training people to be like beyond paramedic kind of folks out in the field doing ER skills, but only with a different certification. So that's the certification I got. And I ended up practicing in those emergency services, not as an MD, but an MICP is what they called it. 
And I did that for five years. I actually had to become a fireman to do it. And uh, then I, you know, the the plan was to continue on and okay, get some good mash skills because you really have to think on your feet at the level that we were trained and that we practice under there. And, you know, you're just a mobile ER unit and again, beyond EMT, beyond paramedics. So it was the highest level. Uh, but then after that, I thought, you know, I, I really got the best of what medicine in the conventional sense has to offer. And because of my background in sports and I was already studying, you know, nutrition, you know, back in the day, this was, you know, in the seventies here and, uh, you know, really getting into, uh, exercise physiology. And, and I kind of fancied myself as becoming a sports doctor. So I ended up going to naturopathic college, which was the four year school. And, uh, there I, uh, uh, specialized in Chinese medicine, classical homeopathy, and um, uh, after that, I continued on with another uh, four-year curriculum, which is chiropractic, because I wanted more of a biomechanical uh, approach. And at the same time, I was already a diplomat in uh, clinical kinesiology and uh, also, you know, really studying what was going on in the Eastern Bloc countries in Europe as far as exercise physiology, neurology, and what we were pioneering ourselves here in the States uh, under the applied and clinical kinesiology and with that, I anticipated going into a uh, sports career, but then that led me into meeting up some uh, folks, uh, medical doctors in Germany and France in particular, and uh, that got me down the road about terrain medicine. Next thing I know, I'm spending hours staring at blood under a microscope and <laughs> and uh, learning old school bioterrain medicine, and, and, and in that European school too, there a lot of good characters came into my life, but you know, introduced me to a lot of the European tradition that goes into everything from anthroposophical medicine with Steiner to, you know, the the great icons of biotrain medicine where they disproved the, the idea of contagion and understood it was all about the internal ecology that either makes or breaks us. And as a physician, you know, it was your job to understand how that works and help people put it right. So that's kind of the, you know, and I did a lot of postdoctoral training besides that, but that's kind of the cliff notes as far as how I got to where I'm at now. Yeah, that's cool. And that word bioterrain medicine is not something a lot of people would be familiar with. And you did ch touch on it just briefly then, but do you want to expand a little bit on what bioterrain medicine is and what the, the principles are and how they, uh, how practitioners of that um, field of medicine see the human body what causes disease sure yeah um you could almost um think of it as being an environmentalist for the body or for biology uh in in the truest sense not what environmentalism has come today but do come to be today um but you're really understanding that you're looking at an ecosystem and even though you're employing your medical studies and all that we understand in a Western sense, um, you know, in biotrain medicine, uh, you're appreciating that the biotrain itself is a energy matter continuum. Now, this wasn't uh, the classical way that all biotrain physicians practice, but it's the way I grew into my practice. So um, first, it started with just understanding, you know, what the role of microorganisms is in the body. Uh, what all the organ systems, uh, you know, are really doing, how they can get compromised, how to test them in certain ways to determine their function. 
And, you know, that's the key word is you really want to understand things from a functional level. So in, in the last two years, you know, with all the all the the pandemic stuff, uh, there's the great debate out there with people citing studies and arguing and, you know, um, you know, depending on what belief system side you're on, using more academic intellectual debating to determine you know, who's right or wrong, or, or if there's really something to worry about. But in reality, functional medicine is um, really not interested in intellectual discussion. It's about what works. You know, I'm a farmer full-time nowadays, and it's the same in farming. You know, things grow or they don't. And in functional medicine, people don't come in to have me discuss with them, uh, you know, research data or, you know, to bring them into that realm. They're, uh, you know, the, my training uh, created a practice over time for me where I saw nothing but people that were chronically ill and most of the time with what they were considering life-threatening situations. Uh, so it I was a long way from practicing sports medicine, but that just kind of happened because of the skill set that I grew. And when they came in, um, you know, we needed to get results. I needed to understand just like farming, you know, what makes things tick, how to put things right. But then that over time also expanded into, um, and you know, when you, when you're in practice, it's, um, very much apparent for any physician, you know, that cares to pay attention, that you're really learning as much as anybody else, maybe even more than your patients. So what happens is you get new clients that come in and they're always going to push you, uh, you know, say you're feeling pretty, pretty comfortable, you know, and, and, you know, dealing with certain situations and you feel like you get things pretty wired. Well, guess what? There's going to be someone on your doorstep the next day that's going to push your skill set and also push you um, to grow to another level internally yourself to understand that we're more than just a bag of bones or a bag of chemicals or meridians or, or germs that we're looking at under a microscope. There's a whole energetic basis that actually puts things into motion in the first place. So with that, I really jumped into both feet with uh, uh, studies in the waveform mechanics and then incorporating that, correlating it with all the stuff I had already been studying with Steiner and other folks that delve more into that arena. And then really going back to the old school alchemist, which is a, is a complete chemist. It's not a superstitious art. It's a, you know, a real uh, science. And so with that, you start to understand that we are an interconnected realm. Our bodies are part of the external ecology that we think of as nature. We are nature. And then bioterrain medicine now takes on another level of depth and breadth. So when somebody comes in, uh, you know, I had to develop skills that would also allow me to measure those levels and to be able to sequence uh, in uh, treatment modalities in a way where I could go back and forth up and down the continuum to address whatever area of crystallization would, you know, needed to be, um, you know, uh, given space so that that person 
could have the light bulbs go on and, you know, get about their life and have a deeper appreciation as far as why those symptoms occurred in the first place. Because in nature, there's no such thing as disease. Nature doesn't cause it. Uh, there's no such thing as a contagion. And, you know, you ask what bioterrain medicine is. Well, that's the first realization a good bioterrain specialist has to come to and understand that the physician's job, uh, just like uh, they said in old uh, Pythagorean times, um, you know, it's about being a teacher and helping people bridge that gap between thinking they are a physical, biological vehicle, but actually, uh, you know, a powerful spiritual being. And so it's very, you know, obviously we all know it's very easy to get seduced into thinking this spacesuit is who we are. And the more we get out of balance in that level, then we have all these physical symptoms. So sometimes you have to know when to go address that level of biochemistry or meridian uh, mechanics or, or biomechanics. And then sometimes you have to go into planes and subplanes that have to do with all sorts of other issues. And, and then again, sequentially address them just like anybody in the trades, you know that when you're building something or fixing something, you have to do it in a certain order. And that to me is what's really missing in all levels of medicine and especially alternative medicine these days. Uh, there's no systematic approach and people specialize too much and just address one end of the continuum or somewhere in between, you know, with their area of specialization. And the reason why I believe uh, we're in that predicament these days is because of the economics of the trade. You know, you go through a lot of schooling, you get that specialization and gone are the days when, you know, you, uh, you know, mopped the floor of the master and spent years before, you know, he started teaching you things. And then, you know, it's considered a lifetime vocation and there was a commitment. I actually spent some many years actually doing apprenticeships like that with some very old school guys. So, um, you know, I did apprenticeships uh, with other or, or um, people did apprenticeships with me along the way. And we always got to a certain point where they said, hey, I got to go out and take care of my family. And, you know, I want to learn all this, but we're talking about a lifetime here. And it's like, well, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. But, you know, of course, uh, contemporary economics and things uh, really become an impediment. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting you say that there needs to be a bit of a, like a process or a uh, there needs to be like a sequence of how you heal someone. So I'm not sure if that is going to open up a really big can of worms, and if you can explain if you can explain that um, concisely or not. But what is what is that process? What is that sequence of um, the healing process how and how do you learn that are there any like resources that you would recommend for people who are clinicians to look at yeah i'm actually developing a whole online course oh cool um to get a lot of these concepts uh out there because a lot of the people that took me under their wing when i was you know up and coming they're gone and also uh those of us that were students in that era are mostly gone too. <laughs> and, um, you know, either not practicing anymore or just already, you know, passed on. So um, I think it's, it's kind of a dying art, but what's nice about today is there's also developments in other areas 
that can uh, allow biotrain medicine to be even uh, more complete. So I've kept up my education and, and research, you know, to, to keep developing, you know, it never stops. Um, but I developed my own system based on a lot of other systems I learned from other people. If you went to see what we would think of as an acupuncturist 4,000 years ago, he didn't just stick needles in you. He knew how to set bones. He knew uh, the energetics of herbs. He knew how to make herbs. He knew how to grow herbs. He could read uh, your energy like reading a book. Um, you know, he's a complete doctor and he spent a lifetime doing that. So that's what our medical schools don't prepare us for. But of course, to work on that level, you have to also work on yourself because it's not just reading a lab and having an intellectual interpretation and then doing some stupid recipe, drug or herb for that matter. You know, you really have to, you know, just be able to read between the lines a lot more. So the system that I developed um, in a nutshell is I would have a whole assessment period when a person first came in. It involved many things. I have different um, radiesthesia devices where I would have to measure their whole toroidal field because we're a toroidal field. That's what every cell of our body is. And we're a composite of those into one larger field. And for people that don't understand what that means, it's just electric vectors simultaneously going on opposite directions to create this, what we think of as a body, our experience or anything on this realm. And this isn't metaphysics at all. That's the wonderful thing about this day and age is we understand that is true science and we can verify all these things. So when I measured toroidal field, I would be able to determine where there were certain distortions. I could measure subplanes, do all sorts of things and also correlate that with how that, uh, you know, dictated their biology. And then I would do a series of labs. Some of those labs would tell me how they're processing, you know, things on the ground, if they're slow oxidized or fast oxidized or parasympathetic, uh, sympathetic uh, dominant, and, you know, all sorts of things that would allow me just, you know, how their machinery was timed. And then also do a type of laboratory testing where molecules were extrapolated into electrical vectors so I could figure out the line of resistance. And now instead of playing old school nutrition or herbology, uh, you know, you knew how to tweak things in order to lessen the line of resistance, make everything more efficient. So everything comes down to understanding it's an electrical, um, you know, realm that you're working with. Now, how can you use traditional tools and even uh, fabricate some of your own, which is what I did in order to accommodate what I needed to know and, you know, be able to see the body in that way, but then get measurable results. So that's why I did a lot of assessment originally, because then that would allow me to just get some foundational treatments in effect. And then at the same time, uh, be able to use that as a barometer as I retested along, you know, along the way when I'm taking care of a case. So um, then there would be a neurological interface where I'd use the body itself, uh, just uh, identical to what you would think of as a biocomputer, no different than these computers here. If you know how to operate it, make neurological uh, recognitions and then hold those recognitions and you can access files within the body, just like a computer, you can expose those, you can bring them up and then also use, uh, you know, uh, get priority issues in line, uh, deal with them in proper order, and then also get the end treatment points that could 
uh, require you reaching into your bag of tools, which might, uh, you know, uh, uh, need uh, sound therapy or uh, emotional clearing techniques or acupuncture or osteopathic uh, adjustments, uh, uh, anything you can think of. So that's where, you know, rather than thinking that you fix people with acupuncture or fix somebody with an osteopathic adjustment, no, those are just tools. And just like any tradesman, you know, the fuller your tool belt and the more adept you are at knowing when to use what, then you get the results. And also the, the system I use allowed me to, you know, reset at the end of a treatment point and then understand or get verification that the reset was successful so I could go on to the next thing and then so on and so on. And there's a lot more involved, but it's a complex of laboratory science, staring at people's blood for hours and looking what the microbial populations are doing, because depending on what prominent microbes are doing what, you can also see secondary changes that they're making. That tells you a lot about what the nature or the state of the terrain is and how you might have to work with those microorganism populations to create balance in the colonizations and also understand why their symptoms. And and, and then above all, when you do all this, you uh, understand very quickly in the business that there's no such thing as a germ causing a disease. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's it's all got to do with that uh, internal environment or the internal terrain. Uh, you mentioned nutrition there, and I'm really interested to hear your perspective on dietary therapy, nutrition, food. There's so many different diets out there. There's vegan, vegetarian, carnivore, you know, you could list 30 of them probably off the top of my head. What's your perspective on nutrition? Do you think there is a kind of diet that people can uh, partake in that will heal them? Or do you think all of these particular diets uh, have the potential to heal people? And is it more so about what they're not eating? So like eliminating processed and refined foods, for example. What what are your thoughts? Well, the first thing is just eating real food. Mm. And, um, you know, I'd say the main problem we have, even with folks that are conscious about what they put in their mouths these days, uh, is that they're overly obsessed with eating the right thing. Uh, you know, that old saying, it's more important what comes out of your mouth than what you put into it. I, there's... <laughs> It's really, really true. Yeah. So um, the dietary approach that I always employed was a transitional diet. Uh, there's some vegans uh, that I kind of had coach going back and having some animal products. Uh, there was a lot of heavy carnivore type of folks that I had them cut way back on their animal products or eliminate them entirely for a while. So it depended on the circumstances. It depended on the person's uh, uh, metabolic uh, individuality. It depended on the person's um, endocrine predominance. All those things are huge factors. And just with a simple physical exam, I could determine very quickly what foodstuffs would you know, work more efficiently in a particular body, which ones would bring them into balance, which ones would um, throw them further out of balance. Uh, but the main thing I believe is to not get any stuck on one diet. You know, if any one diet was the thing, 
it would have cured everybody a long time ago. Everybody would have stuck with that one and that's all we'd be doing right now, but that's not the way it works. And in clinical medicine, what you realize, you know, you can go on the internet these days and you're doing research about what's good for you, what's not good for you. And, you know, there's just all these opinions and things or, or what fixed me and what everybody's got to do. It just doesn't work like that in real life. If you're a, a practitioner and you're seeing a hundred people guaranteed, they aren't all going to respond the same thing to, you know, what created an alleged miracle and somebody that you're reading about. So you really have to be fluid. Uh, you have to have a way to assess. But if I'm just a lay person on my own and I'm not seeing anybody eat real food, appreciate the food that goes into your mouth that you actually have something to eat and, um, you know, bless it. And, you know, uh, food is um, largely just like our bodies comprised of water and water is, uh, you know, a memory chip, the most uh, magical, fantastic memory device or recording device we have on the planet. So whatever your thoughts are while you're eating, whatever you project into that food, that is what it's going to become. So again, it goes back to our consciousness as far as, um, you know, how that food's going to act with us. I think eventually when people are on a path toward health, um, you know, at one time I was a 280 pound football player and uh, you know, you can imagine that I had a little bit of a different diet than I do now, Yeah, but it's been a transition. You know, I've been a vegetarian for a long time. Not that I believe that's what everybody should do. That's just what's worked for me for a long time. Mm. Now I'm not a vegan, but I'm a vegetarian. So, um, you know, again, it's about that transition. It's a process. And I think the healthier you get, then you become more efficient with time and you get more out of whatever you eat. You don't need as much. You don't need as uh, the same amount of density in your foods, um, you know. But again, uh, people that go jump into veganism, after being raised on a traditional diet, they haven't uh, given themselves time to honor that they've developed enzyme systems along the way and all sorts of emotional attachments and, and you name it. And then you just pull the rug out and, you know, not everybody thrives when you just make those kind of radical changes. So uh, the other thing I'd say about diet, is not about ideology, but if everybody is truly working on themselves will get lighter and lighter and lighter and need less uh, stuff out there. And, you know, along the way, probably learn how to be kinder to animals at the same time. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'm of a similar perspective when it comes to food. I'm not so sure that it really matters what you eat. It's more about the how, as you said, you know, what intent do you have whilst you're eating? How is the food grown? How is it harvested? How is it prepared? How is it stored? How is, yeah, it's it's about the how more so than specifically what is going in your mouth. And as you said, uh, if people eat real food, half the battles won. And then if you're putting um, good intent and good energy into uh, how you're preparing that food, who you're spending time with whilst you're eating, um, what your thoughts are, as you said, whilst reading, that's probably another half of the battle. And those two things I think people forget about. It's, um, you know, 
I guess we, we really have taken food for granted in the modern age. It's just something that we do just to sustain ourselves and nothing more. Absolutely. And if you can actually get to a point where you can grow a little bit of your own food, then you're into another whole dimension. Because then you're putting so much more appreciation into your food because you're actually oh. growing it from a, a seed and then it's going to your plate eventually. And yeah, I guess you are grateful about the food that you're eating because you know how much time and effort you've put into getting it to that point, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was fortunate and I grew up in a family um, that were recent arrivals to the uh, States here. You know, they're uh, from uh, Latin cultures, you know, one side South American and the other side from Italy. So I grew up with just uh, gardens and orchards and they just imported their ways from the old country, uh, you know, to where I grew up in Northern California. So, um, you know, you didn't always run off to the store. Mom just, if she was cooking something, she said, go out and grab something. You knew which herb to grab. You, you know, were familiar with everything. You had to put your time in, you know, doing the weeding, <laughs> doing all the other stuff. So, uh, you, you know, it just became part of, uh, you know, normal household chores, and, uh, you know, my wife grew up the same way. So, uh, you know, it's just stuck with us all the years. And, and that's why we actually, you know, we put in long, laborious days. On the other hand, we enjoy every moment of it because we just like being outside growing things. And there's uh, really incredible when you put a little bit of effort into the into the ground, how much you get back. Mm. Yeah, this is something that I am really I'm becoming more interested in is permaculture and uh i think mm -hmm. learning how to connect back to nature to become more self-sufficient more sustainable understanding where food comes from taking care of the environment um getting your hands into the soil i think all of these things we've lost touch with and by being disconnected to nature we forget that we are a part of it and then we just go along living our lives without thinking about the uh, impactful uh, effects that we have not only on the environment, but also our health. And I was listening to a podcast by uh, Dr. Sam Bailey, maybe a month or so ago with a guy called Jim West. And he was essentially mm -hmm. saying, and I've been of this opinion now for a couple of years, he was essentially saying that things like toxicology um, we or ha have been overshadowed by things like the germ theory, bacteriology, virology, um, to try and take our uh, focus away from the potential toxins that are being put into our environment um, through, say, like modern agricultural farming practices, and then um, blaming a germ on the disease that arises from, say, spraying our food with pesticides and herbicides. It's being used as a as a bit of a distraction, as a bit of a scapegoat, um, so to speak. Do you think that um, there is some truth to that? That say a lot of disease is caused by toxicology, say pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, um, and various industrial chemicals that we're using to keep us accustomed to living this uh, sort of toxic Western lifestyle that we all supposedly enjoy. <laughs> I'm absolutely convinced of that. And a lot of it is from my firsthand experience 
because I had ways to test for certain accumulations in the body and then also learn how to get those things out of the body. And then when you did that, you know, symptoms uh, and illness, you know, would disappear. In um, my original Chinese medicine, you know, you, uh, I dove deep into the the Bible of Chinese medicine, which is Shanghang Lun, and, and it's, um, uh, you know, a, a immense book. And I read the English translation, of course, but uh, they described the six stages of disease. And it was all based on what you're um, talking about there. Now, <clears throat> there was a German school of physicians in the earlier 1900s that came up independently with the six stages of disease, but explained more in a way where a Western mind could appreciate it. So the first stage is, uh, let's just say we're exposed to something. You know, maybe you're out on a nice hike on a beautiful day and you're chemtrailing up there and you're breathing in, uh, you know, aluminum particulates and things like that. Now, in a healthy body uh, that isn't being inundated all the time, uh, your body is going to have normal mechanisms to upchuck all these things, you know, excrete them through the skin, through the bowels, uh, you know, through the respiratory passages, and then you're as good as new. Now, let's just say that that um, toxic exposure goes unabated and it overwhelms your elimination systems, or maybe just have a poor lifestyle and you're not supporting your body to get rid of it in the first place. Either way, things start accumulating. Now you have different kinds of symptoms and you have more severe reactions that, you know, a doctor would say, oh, geez, you got the flu or whatever. And, um, you know, and there's no such thing as a flu caused by a germ. It's just our body composting. That's why traditionally, you know, it would happen usually in winter months. Now it happens year round for everybody because, you know, environmental changes. Now, let's just say uh, we don't do anything about it. and We just go about our way, keep, you know, accumulating more. In the third phase uh, of homotoxicology, we call it. Uh, then you these toxins actually start becoming tattooed or pigmented into your tissues. They become incorporated into the cells. Now you've got worse issues. And if you look at the um, categorization or the taxonomy of disease according to homotoxicology and the six stages of disease, which is one of the things I used in my practice, you know, uh, um, extensively. Uh, now you have a whole different classification of um, symptoms. Mm -hmm. And then you go on to the fourth, fifth, and sixth without going through each one of them. Each one gets a little bit more severe as far as symptomatology and until you're actually making, you know, DNA changes and, and, and all sorts of things where people used to come in to see someone like me with the worst diagnosis and think they were dying. But when I first approached a person, one of the things in the initial assessment was, okay, what's the diagnosis? What are the symptoms on the ground? So now I know histologically what tissue I'm dealing with. I also know by the nature of the symptoms, what stage uh, within those six stages uh, they're in. And so instead of saying, okay, you've got MS, no, you're in the, the fifth stage of homotoxicology as far as your neurology, you know, as far as those tissues in the body. And then that's uh, an amazingly uh, great clue as far as, um, you know, what's going on in that body. Then you use all the other tools to, you know, to, you know, unwind the whole process. But going back to diet, 
lifestyle exercise, you know, thinking double plus happy thoughts all day long. Um, you know, those are the things that are going to help your body just, you know, not hold on to things. And a lot of times the, the best of folks out there that are trying real hard to be healthy, they're so obsessive about it or worried about what's making them sick that they become a magnet and hold on to those things. So I think there's a happy medium as far as, you know, doing certain procedures we know are helpful these days for the things we're getting exposure to, uh, you know, just doing all the other positive things, but then, it, you know, at the same time, lead your life and don't dwell on them because that will create, um, that will accommodate those toxins, finding a long-term home in your body on more of an electromagnetic attraction level. Hmm. Do you think that you're talking about permaculture before and you've got a permaculture farm there? How much land have you got, by the way? Oh, we're we're small. We just have 12 acres. That's awesome. It's enough. Keeps me busy. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, yeah. I'm guessing because you're working off a permaculture perspective there, there's no herbicides, pesticides, pesticides, farm uh, herbicides, fungicides, this type of stuff that you're using on the on the farm. No. In fact, we use uh, a minimal amount of organic fertilizers because the soil science that I use um, allows me to understand two things. Uh, number one, what the electrical line of resistance in the soil is with the same kind of measurements I used to do in the body. And so now in order to make that soil um, so that the nutrients are going to have a uh, compatibility within the soil with the rootlets of the plants you're trying to grow. And it's all about creating that compatibility. So there's just a nice uh, rapport between the two. Um, you just make little micro adjustments to adjust the line of electrical resistance rather than saying, oh, I need more nitrogen because my leaves aren't green enough or you know, I'm not fruiting enough. So I'm going to throw more phosphorus on there and and you think you're doing a great job because you're, you know, doing organic nutrition. Uh, at the same time, you're burning the soil out. You're not creating good soil for future generations. And you're just, you know, way busier than you need to be. And you're not going to get the best results. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's any one thing that you can't do enough of, and, you know, which is part of our, you know, natural growing methodology is to make sure there's an abundance of microorganisms in the soil. So we have a, what we call vortex brewer. It's a big contraption out there that works on Victor Schauberger principles. It creates an implosion. And then I have a biodynamic solution that I've created that I put in there and then I turn it on and it just keeps circulating day after day. And it creates uh, an abundance of oxygen that then grows uh, an amazing amount of microorganisms uh, that then I put on my plants and into the soil. And then the microorganisms, you know, they have a short lifespan, so they're turning over all the time. So that the casings of them, the microorganisms, um, you know, that are no longer alive, they're in the solution also. And they are wonderful nutrition for the plants is along with the live microorganisms that break down the minerals and make them available to the plants, you know, and the root systems. And then worms are a big thing, but we live on a river bank here. So we've got plenty of worms and we moved to this, you know, this is our fourth homestead. 
And uh, the last place we were at, you know, and uh, two out of four have been entirely off grid. Uh, the last one was great and we took it to a high level. Uh, unfortunately, it was in the middle of the uh, Emerald Triangle in uh, Northern California. And a lot of greed took over the cannabis industry and, it, you know, brought in a lot of folks that didn't used to exist there in past times. So they had, you know, Walmart size, uh, you know, grow houses and all that kind of thing and, and just became very, um, you know, it's inconsequential what they put into the environment on their plants because they were just in it to make a buck. And we were on the river there too. And then uh, after a few years, we noticed some bubbles in the river and, you know, uh, things growing in the river. That, so we said, okay, we're out of here. So we're in, uh, we're surrounded by complete wilderness here. Uh, it's been untouched, cleanest river in probably the continent. Wow. And, um, you know, so it's pristine as far as soil, uh, just all the natural elements that have never been tampered with here, really. And so it makes our job very easy. Do you think permaculture is the future? Because there's so much, like I hear people talking all the time about the concern about there not being enough food and it's really hard to um, regenerate soil and we have to use all these synthetic fertilizers and we have to use all these things to, to kill bugs and there's not going to be enough food for people to to survive on. Um, that might be true for that sort of monocrop Western agricultural type of practice but personally i don't when i look at permaculture and the more i learn about it i actually see a way out of this mess i think permaculture holds those answers and it's not like a new concept really i mean this is what our forefathers were doing i don't know like even 80 years ago there was still a lot of these permaculture concepts being used by farmers and then there was a shift away from that so do you think permaculture holds a lot of the answers and solutions to us moving forward and having a life and a world full of abundance and um, enough food for everybody to go around with minimal impact on the environment. Absolutely. the The problem we have with food is number one, we think there's scarcity, and we think there's scarcity because we have a med media that's uh, covering for corporate interests that are creating scarcities in order to create food monopolies. Mm. And then of course, mm. these food monopolies uh, keep us on uh, unhealthier, you know, year by year crops as we go. And even organic crops um, are not what they used to be. Uh, you know, I have a lot of instruments in my lab that I can go test an apple from Whole Foods or something. And, you know, there's just not much into it compared to a whole homegrown apple, even though they're supposedly both organic. Mm. So the problem we have besides corporate monopolies are the distribution of food, uh, because a lot of the food comes unseasonable, uh, you know, unseasonal crops from different parts of the world that have to be transported. They have to be picked early. And also, you know, these mono farms can only produce so much and only gets so much out of the earth over a period of time because they're, you know, basically raping the ground, you know, just trying to get more and more and more out of it. So the whole premise of what we do at our Alpha Vedic farm here is to create a prototype for a small reproducible farm 
where every community or even an urban center could have several of these. And each of these farms um, can have a little niche kind of specialty. You know, you can grow uh, medicinal herbs. You can grow a certain kind of food stuff or fruit or different kind of crops. And just in little five and 10 acre plots and several of them dotted within every community, you would, uh, you know, have all your needs. Also, if you want animal byproducts, like I've got chickens here and, and everything, um, you know, you can be much kinder to your animals. You don't have to have um, huge herds and things where there's, you know, they're just by necessity has to be casualties, you know, when a, when mom starts, uh, you stops giving milk and everything, you know, well, then it's just your pet, basically, and you don't have to slaughter it and, you know, abuse animals. So you can have animal byproducts, you can have uh, all the food that you need, you can make your own medicine, and it can be done in every community. And especially within cities, you know, it's been done already. So permaculture uh, is really about designing an intelligent farm that is orchestrated in a way where you get the most out of your land, but not at the expense of your land. Then there are other techniques like biodynamic farming, you know, to create the full natural loop. Uh, there's uh, ionization soil science, which I've been alluding about, you know, as far as understanding the electrical vectors in soil. There's uh, Schauberger technologies that, you know, we touched on as far as creating an abundance of microorganisms that, you know, are just going to make your, um, you know, either your home garden or your small farm just alive and vibrant and be able to grow anything. Uh, and most importantly, grow new topsoil for future generations. And when it comes to medicine, um, you know, a lot of people don't understand that any, any self-respecting physician, uh, you know, in past times had a physic garden, they called it, where they grew their own medicine. And those doctors that knew how to grow and had a relationship with those medicinal plants and knew how to make medicine out of it had tremendous results mm. compared to, you know, going to the health food store and getting some tincture, you know, where somebody made 600 bottles at a time or something, which is, you know, better than the drug, but, um, you know, just not the same animal by far. So uh, doctors need to start growing stuff. Also, they might appreciate, um, you know, what they're really doing in the body if they understand how life begins in the first place. What do you think about, vitamins and minerals as supplements because i've sort of been doing a bit of looking into this and i've been prescribing vitamins and mineral supplements to people for years under the guise of i thought that it was natural that it was alternative that it was addressing the underlying cause of the problem but the more i've looked into it the more i sort of go i think supplements are missing a lot of the, the pieces of the puzzle and now i try and take a food centered approach uh what are your thoughts I think um, we took a wrong turn in the road when we got down this whole nutraceutical kind of mindset where we uh, standardize uh, herbs and constituents of herbs and foodstuffs, you know, whether vitamins, minerals, or, or get the idea that, well, there's one particular ingredient in a particular plant that makes it tick, you know, and then we try to, you know, concentrate that more. Um, you know, we're not at all appreciating the complex that creates the overall resonance that actually works with our body. 
because our body is a, you know, a continuation of nature and it really has to be able to find that compatible resonance that's innate and those things aren't innate. So if you're eating a good whole food diet, um, you know, I think that's really the best way to go. Now, you know, I have a company which is part of our permaculture model because a lot of the stuff that we grow, you know, we turn around and put into our teas and things. And, um, you know, but every, all the formulas and things that I've created are created on whole food concepts, not, uh, you know, standardizing or concentrating and that kind of thing. But most important is that um, we find uh, uh, the proper source of minerals. And it's probably, you know, even folks that are pretty healthy and trying to eat healthy, uh, you know, minerals are still lacking. And, you know, especially actually in organic foods, you know, some conventionally grown foods have more minerals and goodies in them than some of the organic foods out there. You know, I'd rather have the cleaner organic, but just saying. So the best source of minerals would be, you know, like your fulvic humic because they're, um, you know, uh, broken down, pre-digested plant matter, you know, that's been there for eons. And then it goes right to your bloodstream and does a lot of good things that, you know, in the old school uh, Ayurvedic medicine, they called it shilajit. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I think there's great value maybe in just, you know, hedging your bets and making sure you have enough minerals. Uh, the other thing that I really believe in, and and I base this on a lot of, uh, you know, evidence that I was able to witness is cell salts, because cell salts are the um, homeopathically attenuated uh, key minerals and 12 of them predominantly that correlate. Uh, this gets into more of the larger um, biological continuum, which incorporates, you know, what's over our head every night, but nobody ever looks out there anymore in the sky. But there's, um, you know, there's uh, projections of resonance coming down upon us all the time. And uh, we are capacitors for that. If you look at it in an electrical system, you know, we receive that energy. And then on a cellular level, what allows the capacitance to take place are these 12 sea salts that correlate, uh, cell salts rather, that correlate with each of the, the 12 constellations. And, uh, you know, it's not astrology or, or some kind of metaphysical science, it's real science. And uh, with those cell salts, and especially if you know which ones to take based on the time of your birth and so forth, then it's really going to resolve all the potential deficiencies that people would have a tendency toward, depending on your constitutional makeup when you're born, a lot of other things. So I'd say if, if there's any one thing I'd supplement with, it would be cell salts. I'd uh, learn how to uh, use those based on your birth date. And, uh, you know, then maybe to back up uh, just your food, take humic fulvic, um, you know, minerals, predigested minerals, or what we call shilajit. Yeah, I think a lot of people are under this, like a lot of people that I know take, say, vitamin C or some sort of B vitamin. And I don't think they realize that this stuff's actually synthesized in a lab by a pharmaceutical company somewhere. It doesn't actually come from an mm -hmm. orange or a strawberry or anything. And uh, they take it and they think, well, I'm getting my vitamin C. I don't need to eat fruit. Um, when in fact, they're missing out in that full spectrum of everything else that's in the orange or the strawberry. But I also wonder how important do you think it is um, 
when you eat a whole food, you're getting that structured water in the food because you don't get that in a capsule of vitamin C. Do you think that's something that we're overlooking when it comes to supplementation is that lack oh, that's, of uh, structured water? Now, that's that's real key. And, and I think you hit on a huge one there. Um, you know, I have some formulas like vitamin C is one of them, but they're all from, you know, uh, properly processed acerola cherry and mm. rose hips and goji berries and all sorts mm. of things in there. So, you know, we can test and say, oh, there's actually some real natural full spectrum vitamin C. We do some other things and everything, but you're absolutely right. If uh, I have my um, druthers, you know, and having a scoop of that, which is okay as far as a supplement, uh, I'll take, you know, a nice homegrown uh, piece of citrus fruit or something like that any day because there's there's those elements. And, you know, water is um, so key and water has probably taken the brunt of uh, our abuse you know, to the environment more than any single substance, uh, because as we already mentioned, it's... Um, it's a memory device and uh, you know, whatever it's exposed to, it takes on that imprint. That's what homeopathy is all about. So you can get purification systems like under your sink, people have, um, you know, uh, all sorts of filtration mechanisms and, and, and so forth, but it doesn't take out the um, memory imprints, the electromagnetic imprints of that water all the things it's picked up by going through other people's bodies, things it's picked up in the upper atmosphere, things it's picked up on the ground. You know, those are all homeopathic attenuations of all this kind of garbage dump that we've created here. Hmm. So um, really, other than having good structured water and natural food, you know, our drinking water, and this would surprise a lot of people, um, would be distilled water. Now, right off people are going to say well what are you talking about distilled water it doesn't have any minerals so it's going to leach all the minerals out of your body well that's an old wives tale based on uh you know grade school biology where they get a fish tank and put a semi-permeable membrane and more solutes on one side and then they say the solutes travel to the you know the more dilute side and and that's osmotic pressure. So therefore you drink a glass of a distilled water is going to leach all the minerals out. Well, the fact is, is it's not even close to the way our body operates. When you distill water, uh, that water is going to have higher energy because when you remove all the minerals and other elements, including imprints from that water, it's going to release the water of the natural hydrogen oxygen bonds and make that available to your body. So you're going to have an abundance of electrons, higher energy, which are going to be very beneficial. Distilled water is also going to be a much more, because it's clean, it's not carrying anything, it's going to be a more efficient carrier of minerals and things that you do want to get into your cells. Mm -hmm. And then also it's going to have superior cleansing uh, ability yes. in your body as well. And again, that's just a little something I picked up in my clinical years, I found that it, it really worked. Mm. Um, if somebody has a good spring, you know, uh, water and it's never been tainted, we have a, a great one right here up here on the hillside. Um, you know, it comes out of miles of bedrock. You know, I love pure spring water. It's coming through natural swirling vortexes and, you know, it's alive in a whole different way. So I like to go back and forth between the two. 
that's really the cool. other thing um, that I'd mentioned in the water thing is, is if you can um, impregnate distilled water with an abundance of hydrogen or Brown's gas, then that would probably be the other thing. You know, if you talk about supplementation and I had to just pick one supplement to take, it would be hydrogen. Interesting. So you've got a, I'm guessing you've got a Brown's gas machine and you put the extra hydrogen into the water that you drink. Yes. It's uh, that thing right over there behind me. Yeah. I was going to say, is that it on the, on the side there? Cause I know when yeah. I was talking to Amanda uh, Walmer, she had one looks very similar to, to yours actually. Oh, Amanda. Yeah. She probably has the same one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's awesome. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I just have another maybe one or two questions if you have time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you think that what's transpired over the last two years, I actually see it as a really positive thing. Yeah. That every, all the hardships that we've been through, it's kind of like the ugly breakup. We've had to go through it. Yes, it sucked, but it was a necessity. And I think um, medicine has exposed itself in these last couple of years. Do you think that there's any um, coming back for medicine? Can it recover from this or is it done? Uh, <laughs> I want my, my initial reaction is it's done. <laughs> um, but I, I hesitate to throw out the baby with bath water. Yes. I was involved in emergency medicine. Yes. And there's a time yeah. and place for that. Mm. I also believe on another level, if we really get our act together, there's no such thing as accidents either, but that's oh, wow. another whole level. <laughs> that's another whole level of evolution. Okay. Right. Um, so I don't think we're mankind is going to be dependent on ER rooms forever either. Um, mm. uh, you know, but right now, you know, people need them. Great. And, and, you know, we, we did a lot of good when I was out there, you know, folks were dying and we'd patch them up, stop the bleeding, get their hearts going again. And, you know, it worked. So outside of that though, uh, medicine has proven that it doesn't have anything to offer. And if you look statistically at the number of people, um, opting in for conventional medicine services, overwhelmingly, it's going to be, you know, 10 to one in favor of uh, things that have to do with chronic issues and not emergencies. Mm. So what they do is they use emergencies as kind of their showcase to say, oh, you know, we really save lives. But yeah, there's been too much exposure. Now, I started in my journey of um, talking my head off to anyone that would listen you know, back in the mid seventies, uh, because of the things that I was learning. And of course, uh, you, you know, you're one of those, you're a conspiracy theorist and, you know, and all that kind of thing, but every single thing that we ever talked about has come true. And, and then astoundingly beyond even my expectations. So, uh, what we're burgeoning on now is an entirely new reset. Mm where we have to throw out our concepts on everything. And I think part of the journey lately, and I agree with you, by the way, I think we live in the best of times and uh, we have nothing but a bright future ahead. And that isn't a Pollyanna sort of thing or, or hopium. It's really the truth. You know, when you treat a very sick body, uh, 
very often in the initial stages of treatment, it looks like they're getting worse because what you're doing is getting everything up to the surface. Now, if you know how to manage the case, you can keep them out of hot water so they can survive that and you know make it around the bend. But what we're experiencing, I believe now, is um, all the crap from centuries rising to the surface. It's being exposed. It's in plain sight. Uh, the creatures can't run and hide anymore. We know who they are. And, uh, you know, on the other hand, there's a lot of folks that maybe aren't ready for the truth, and that's none of our business either. If it's not their time, it's not their time. And if they want to go get injected, change their DNA, this, uh, you know, dampen their perceptive bandwidth and be brought down to animal level for other people's control and pleasure, then, you know, that's none of my business. Uh, on the other hand, I think there's way more of us that want to be free than the other way around. And if it wasn't for the media telling us otherwise, uh, we'd know that for a fact. So uh, the medicine of the future has uh, already been created. And now there's a lot of us that have been at it for a while that are putting all the pieces together to create um, a training ground for the physicians of the future. And the first thing I ever told anybody, 100% of the people that came in to see me, and I saw thousands of people over many years, uh, on day one in their initial interview, I said, you do not need me. And that would create some wrinkles in a lot of people. But uh, most often people would come back at a later date and they say, I get it now. I understand what you're trying to tell me. So the first thing I think in a good medical system is to sever that tendency to create a dependence on any level in people's minds and their emotions, uh, in their bodies, uh, that, that make them think they need anything or anybody outside of themselves to heal themselves because nobody can heal somebody else. Yes. All you can do is lead people to water and help them remove some of the impediments and the rest is up to them. That's why I revert back to my old jock upbringing, which is I like to think of myself more as a coach than a doctor. Yes. And any good coach is going to tell you that, look, you still got to go out and play the game. You know, I can only <laughs> do so much for you from the sidelines. So, um, no, we're we're into some really, really exciting times. And my fantasy is to create a real medical school. And we're actually doing some things here on the ground to put together programs to train complete doctors. That's amazing. And um, yeah, I'd love to stay up to date with that work that you're doing and the course that, you, that you're bringing out. Um, where's the best place for people to find out about that course? Obviously, you haven't released it yet, but is it um, alphavedic.com? Is it the best place for people to, to check out the work that you're doing? Yes. A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C, alphavedic.com. And uh, we're releasing a new site. Uh, for the first of the year, which is oh, going to cool. be a membership site. Oh, and then that's where we're going to be putting out more and more content. Nice. We're going to have more of a intimate uh, view of, um, you know, the goings on here at the farm, what it's like to actually be totally off grid farming. And, uh, you know, we're going to have uh, everything from little growing clinics to just day to day affairs here. Uh, what it's like making real medicine in my laboratory. What spagyrics, uh, you know, and those sorts of things really mean. Um, you know, just we'll we'll cover every facet, and that's that's fun for us. Um, you know, it's been um, it's been a while to get to this point, but now we've got enough support 
uh, with us where we can actually start getting more of these things out to the world and, you know, which was the, the whole intention in the first place. Yeah, it's amazing. And you're doing such good work. And I think the uh, health profession, I don't even like to call it alternative medicine because I don't think we're alternative. I actually think what we offer is the real medicine, but um, I think you're doing such important work there. And I think people can learn a lot from you. So for any clinicians that are listening and haven't come across your work before, I highly recommend they go and check out not only your podcast, but your website as well and um, stay up to date with the the, uh, courses and and programs that you're going to be releasing. So just moving into the final stages, uh, we've been talking for a little over an hour. Was there anything that um, you were sort of burning to talk about or or anything that you think we might have missed or that you'd like to cover before we wrap up for today? You know, I think we we covered uh, pretty much all the salient points. I don't want to overstay my welcome here, um, but I <laughs> I just say, um, you know, to everybody that uh, you know, and, and we've already mentioned this. So we really do live in the most opportune times, and uh, you know, a lot of folks out there, I think, are just dwelling too much on all of the the deceit and the, you know, the you know, just the agenda out there that's uh, been weaponized against people. But remember, um, it can only be weaponized against us if we comply. And so I would urge everybody, (laughs) above all, do not comply with anything. You know, we are powerful spiritual beings that owe nothing to anybody other than our responsibility to give back to our creator, to give back to each other. Um, You know, nature is a two-way give, give. And if you want to be healthy, if you want to have abundance in your life, if you want to see all what we consider problems on a planet disappear, then give. That's the that's the the key to the universe and anybody can try it out and find out that it works in little ways. And then, you know, it becomes a practice and a way of life. And I think that's where we're headed as a species. Yeah. It's pretty exciting times we live in and you're exactly right. I think peaceful non-compliance is probably the easiest and most simple way out of this and doing what you're doing, getting back to nature, getting back to basics, living off the land, being self-sufficient. Um, that also helps us to take back our power as well by doing those things. So yeah, you're doing amazing work. I'm so inspired by you. Thank you. <laughs> well, so are you, Daniel, and uh, you're helping us all get the word out. And it's, it's amazing. If you think about it here, we are in different parts of the planet. We're all finding each other. There's no accident to that. We're all kindred spirits, you know, with the same intentions and uh, purpose and uh, you're doing your part. So thank you for that. And it's been an honor talking to you today. It's been great to have you Um, and I'll put your link to your website up in the show notes so everyone can go and check out the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much once again, Dr. Lando. I really appreciate speaking with you and uh, hopefully we can chat again soon. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. The ideas discussed on this podcast do not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional. 
If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com forward slash podcast and join the discussion. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Until next time.